let's acknowledge the good friends of the Law Party Podcast, the Majestic Restaurant and Pendergast Club, 931 Broadway in Kansas City, Missouri, the J. Rieger Kansas City Distillery. Oh, so good. Now onto our regularly scheduled program. It's not getting in, getting in. Uh, welcome everybody out there to Good Times with Good People Company presents the Law Party Podcast, where it is always about good times, good people, and good talk. Uh, please subscribe to the Law Party Podcast on YouTube, Facebook, and SoundCloud. Please tell a friend you have received your invitation and welcome to the party. I'm your host and moderator, Rio, and let's introduce today's panel. We have our returning champions. Chris O'Connor, uh, of course, he's the co-owner of Liquid Nine Broadcast Media Production, and uh, Dave Elliott, we call him Big Dave, he's the owner of C&P Construction, and today on the Law Party Podcast, uh, we're going to make Halloween great again. Uh, oh, I'm here Oh, no, 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 wait. I, Thank I you, was, appreciate you. I, I was coming back around, <laughs> but since she couldn't wait. And the anonymous female, because she doesn't want you to know her name. Impatient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so today, we're going to make Hollywood. <laughs> make Hollywood. Because <laughs> that's what you do with that spritz work. <laughs> we're going to make Halloween great again, a.k.a. this is getting scary. Um, so, um, first thing is everybody will notice. Um, don't have to go all the way through it, um, but... I thought it was really interesting that, um, and I didn't notice it until much later in the day that um, on the website for NPR, um, they put full transcripts of all of the, all of the debates after each debate um, with a full fact check on every debate. I just was like, wow, that is amazing. So I, I printed out the last debate. And um, and I should say, we definitely don't have to go all the way through it. But I thought um, the fact that, the fact that, um, that people are fact-checking on this level um, bodes well for uh, our democracy and our electorate. Um, did they tally? Um, I don't think they did a tally. I think they they literally went phrase you know phrase by phrase, statement by statement, and the things that needed fact checking. There's underlines, and then there's a box that is is what they fact checked. You know, is what the result of the fact check. Um, so I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, it seems as if it doesn't get into um, into like this is a lie versus this is um, you know this is this was true versus this is a lie until seems like a little bit into the debate um, a lot of it is you know you you know you said this or I said this even um, and they did some clarifyings um, on a lot of um, what they a lot of what they said because it was a ton of stuff that wasn't a fib it just it was so vague yeah so vague 
that in, instead of fact checking like well that was a lie they were just like okay this is really what happened here or this is really what was said in this in this instance and uh, I thought that was really interesting I did notice as it got a little further along um, uh, that they did start doing some true falses um, um, you know and, and some stuff you know that I didn't necessarily you know I guess want to be you know true or false you know either one you know, I realized that, oh, okay, that, 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 that had a morsel of truth in it, or, oh, well, oh, okay, that sounded like a complete load of bull crap, but I guess that was at least half true, you know, and uh, so I just, I just, more than anything else, um, I thought it was really interesting that they were going through the debate to this level. And uh, and really either true or falsing or really clarifying statements um, because I think there's a lot of I think there's still a lot of the did electorate you, that's just in there. Did you feel NPR was pretty impartial? Uh, it seemed as if they were NPR. Yeah, it seemed as if they were just like okay, this is this is it. This is this is just it. You know, like there was plenty of times where. You know, like Trump said something, and they were like, um, "Actually, he did do that," and and to this degree, and you know, and I was like, "Oh, okay," you know. So it didn't seem like it was a bunch of, um, well, here's all the times you know Trump lied, and you know, glowing truths about you know about Hillary. It was like there were there were times during both of you know their their question and answer periods that. Um, they both said stuff that was not necessarily a lie, but it was definitely incomplete. And then there was other times that um, what they said was, it, w it was true, but it was just, um, it was so vague that they needed to give some, some reference to what it is that they were actually really talking about. Um, you know, there was, yeah, there was a point I, I remember reading that Trump said he had... Um, he had 20 people that um, he was going to be um, um, nominating. He had a 20 person list to nominate for the court. We had 20 possible candidates for this. Right. And, and so they actually were saying that, yes, he really does have, you know, 20 people. And, you know, and this is to the degree, you know, that, um, you know, I mean, I think, the, think what he said is that he had nominated 20 but of course, he's not in a position to nominate anything yet. So, you know, so it wasn't a wasn't a lie. It was just, you know, it was, word, wording was 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 slightly off, and you know that well, that. All, but all it, of Trump's wording is going to be slightly off because yeah. he's, he's he's off the cuff, and you know, I don't, I don't know. It's it's, uh, I struggle with Trump like a lot of people, but I, I think it has to be said is that you know. He's out there saying what he thinks for the most part. If he didn't get derailed all the time on wanting to insult people or answer to insults, he'd be a bit, very different type of candidate, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think if he if if he gets rattled very easy, mm -hmm. and I think that 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 is a, a major issue for him because whether he means what he's saying or not, 
it it comes out and it comes out in a bad way. Yep. And just, right or wrong, it, it it just sounds like a bratty kid and he doesn't know how to deal with it. <coughs> the first thing the, you do is you lash out. One of the most important things I think I do in business is that every once in a while you're gonna get that phone call where maybe there's two sides of the story, maybe it's an all ship <coughs> phone call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like to let it go to voicemail. Yeah, give yourself time to give myself get the facts. time to think, get the facts, make a few phone calls, find out who's really bullshit and who yet. Mm -hmm. Or if it is not shit, okay. Yeah. How, how am I going to get this fixed? So when I come at them, I have solution to the problem. They may yell at me when I come back at them, but I'm going to also say, all right, this is what I'm going to do. These are these are my options. This is what I can do for you. This is how we'll take care of it. I think Mr. Trump reacted that way a little bit better yeah. and listened to some of his advisors. I don't think he does, though. I think he just goes, boom. Well, this is me, and then goes, boom. Yeah, I think, they I listen. think, he, I think he listens, and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then something gets under his skin. Because you can always see when it happens. He's, he's very calm and collected, and then it doesn't really matter who it is because he's gone after Clinton. He's gone after... A reporter, he's gone after a moderator. You know, it just something, a word, or the way they say it, it just gets him, and yeah. immediately he's back to. And it's bada bing, here we go. Yeah, 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 here we go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got to admit, though, it's in some ways, though, even though it may make your teeth grate a little bit, it is entertaining. Now, I will say, this is probably the best show on television. Uh, the problem is. <laughs> then we're trying to elect president and not just watch entertaining TV and that's the problem. Like maybe he should truly just be on TV. Like Yeah, like no, he's TV. entertaining. As I'll get out to watch, but uh, I don't know if I want to watch him be the president. <laughs> like that's the I think that's where the problem mm -hmm. lies. It's it's hard to say, you know. You have a pretty <laughs> unique kind of perspective in general. Chris, about you know what uh, you know being being on the media side, um, you know, what do you think about the the fact that and it's probably not just NPR, but you know, but that there are sites and whatever that are fact checking on on this level. I think fact checking is all you come into it with a perspective that you're trying to generally either prove or disprove. I don't know that it's necessarily where people go fact checking. I don't know that you still don't have an agenda, you know. And again, I also think there's a million ways to phrase things. My dad used to say, if an American and a Russian ran a race, and the American won, mm -hmm. uh, the Russian newspaper would say. Our guy came in second, when the American came in second to last. Right. So <laughs> they're both true statements, and this, you know, it's true. literally just how you want to interpret it. Um, everybody, everybody has a point of view that they come up things with, and that's what I think it's it's hard. Yeah. So even when we're talking, and again, NPR, NPR <clears throat> always had a, a reasonably liberal agenda. Wall Street yeah. Journal has always had a very conservative agenda. Mm -hmm. You know, you got clearly MSNBC and Fox, and when they start talking about their fact checking, I'm like, eh, I don't buy that I, shit. Uh, I watch politi politifact. Like, mm. 
Yeah, PolitiFact seems to be the one of the very few that I've found has won awards for you know for being impartial, and uh, so I tend to, which is the reason why discovering that like NPR and sites were were fact checking on this level was like, oh okay, because what? me I tend to watch, okay, what. What is the truth? Because you got to have at least one, uh, one entity that you can go to. That because of course, if you go to a liberal source and then you go to a conservative source, they'll generally tell you two different things, which leaves you, you Somewhere know, in the the same. Was, yeah, it was, yep. and and thus is the problem. So I tend to try to find at least that one source that you know doesn't seem to care, you know, and uh, and they just. They just want you to have, you know, unscrubbed data. Mm-hmm. And, well, I would uh, like to think maybe PolitiFacts. I don't know. It, but, which is why. But I maybe can't. they got some conservative people. Maybe they got some liberal people. Some folks in the middle. Maybe they're kind of like this panel, where they actually sit down, have discussions, and hash things, hash things out. They actually. Um, and then try to put out the best information possible. Yeah, they actually go back and look at the way things were said and. You know, like there's been things that they journalism. Yeah. Ha! Yeah. Oh! Wow! <laughs> journalism. You know, thing anymore. Wow! It's it's again. I, I think if you look at the history of politics in the United States, especially when it comes to what we want to call journalism, uh, there was no such thing as objective journalism because they realized it's a fallacy. You know, you cannot possibly be objective. It just doesn't work that way. I don't know. I now, think there. I think there's something those are blatant blatant lies and I yeah, you know, yeah. You can get those pretty well, easy yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of things where it's like well you're splitting hairs and saying half truths and things like yeah, that for yeah. your case and I guess yeah. Yeah. and I do I do agree that uh, they've been good about uh, I don't know if you guys have watched any of that but they PolitiFact has been really good about saying you know this is mostly true sure. maybe this part of it you you know you could maybe say was wrong yeah, or like they're so. like, no, it was absolutely, this was completely false. I mean, they hadn't really had a lot of, like, liar, liar, pants on fire shit. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, you know, it, it, you know, it, the funny thing is, you know, I remember, and, you know, I'm not necessarily nostalgic for the time, but I definitely remember when I was really young. And... You know, you had the, you know, the Walter Cronkites and the, you, it, there was just those, those two or three, you know, news anchors that, like you said, it was, maybe there you didn't was, know some, what there they, was, there what was, yeah, you felt. just, I'm sure they had. Well, we know that feeling, Walter Cronkite yeah, did. He, yeah. made, he, he was very liberal, but he didn't necessarily but it exhibit didn't, that as much in his news as what it, some of the exactly. casters do Which nowadays. to me is what real journalists, real reporters do. Like, they Edmund don't Murrow spin it and, in yeah, there. Murrow, yeah, I mean, these are, these are guys that were able to mm-hmm. at least appear impartial. Yeah, you know, I, know, I don't I think... I don't mean, think the appearance is what you can... Yeah. Had on. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think any of them were in part. They were still, they were still that, entertainers for that. So. Goes back to Hillary's comment of, and maybe she didn't mean it this way, but you have one face in public and one face in private, and when you're public facing, you may not always 
personally feel the way that you feel when, about things that you're talking about. Yeah. Private being the main trouble for Hillary. <laughs> that that was, has been her downfall. She mm -hmm. should have stayed a lot more public. <laughs> which, which I do suppose brings us out of uh, fact-checking uh, into, uh, well, into the next part of fact-checking, which uh, the FBI, <laughs> you know, let me pause here and say, there have been many people who have thought that Anthony Weiner's Weiner was going to be the end of the world. And it is very possible <laughs> that Anthony Weiner's Weiner will actually be the end the of the, the American <laughs> democracy, if not the world. This is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. I was like, so the FBI is going to reopen the investigation because they're of not, Anthony they're not Weiner. Re, they're not reopening the original investigation. Not, no, they're, they're, they're opening an investigation. Opening the, another the investigation. They were closed. Right. I mean, that's one of the misleading things that people think is that they never actually did close the investigation. No, it, it yeah. So, I think the thing that kills me is so Anthony Weiner's sending pics to what they think is an underage girl. They're going to have 50 years, you realize yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're on his computer uh, looking for, you know, for all the dick pics and who he sends them to uh, and find that his uh, estranged wife used that computer from time to time emailing Hillary no, and no, found no, a bunch no, no, of no. Hillary emails. They said, as of right now, the emails that they've seen have had she hasn't been involved in them at all that's been part of the issue so the so the fbi said we're doing this but they didn't they hadn't seen the emails they hadn't um there was nothing showing that she was in a recipient of any of the emails they were talking about her in what, the emails. what they have what the fbi has found <coughs> out they, they they develop a program because they're such a massive amount of emails on this particular computer mm -hmm. and to be able to look for certain words mm -hmm. or, or, or certain emails to where they're able to take the massive amount and come down to a smaller amount. Right. Mm -hmm. But the problem is right now <coughs> is that then it has to go to what basically is a C method. So they literally have to look at it and then they have to say, well, that could possibly be a classified email. Then they have to contact the agency that that possible classified email came from to see if it was classified at the time it was sent. So this is going to take a little while. I, I find, the thing I find interesting here is that I, and I've listened to several different sources on it, I've read a little bit on it. There's some rumbling in the lower ranks of the DOJ even. There's also a lot of rumbling in the FBI that they felt like they had the goods. And I think James Comey, I think they they may even, who knows, I, this is total speculation. I'm not yeah. going to even come anywhere close to think I'm, I'm that damn smart. But I think James Comey kind of got dissed on. And somebody may have turned around and, and pissed him off somehow. Mm. And then he finally said, enough is enough. 
Well, I think I, I kind of disagree with that a little bit. I think it's more of he's been under pressure since he said he wasn't going to. Everything that he's done with this, he personally has done with this case, has been out of character for the FBI in general. And, and they've reported on that. For James Cole. Yeah, for him. Well, for, well, him for him, and I for don't know Angus. because I don't, I don't know any, enough about him to speak on that. But the FBI's, but the FBI's general practice isn't to have um, press conferences, press conferences yeah. on ongoing. Right. And he's done it two or three times yeah. now. And that's very strange to me, also. Um, there's a lot of little things there that are very strange, and, um, and maybe, maybe people make more of it. The, the Bill Clinton meeting, the Loretta Lynch, even if it was a friendly visit, and I, we wouldn't know one way or the other, yeah. but I'm not going to stand there and claim it was one way or the other. Right. Three days before it comes out, hey, man, that, that stinks. Yeah. That stink, that, that's bad. If anything, it was bad judgment. Just plain serious bad judgment. Yeah. You're, you're, you're pitting smoke there. When there's smoke, there's usually fire. Well, you know, this is this is a funny thing that I've uh, that, and I've said this before of, about the Clintons in general. Um, like <laughs> shit for for as long as I can remember, the Clinton machine. Yeah, they have been under some investigation or another. There's always a ton of smoke. They never find any flames. I don't know how which, to do it. Which, <laughs> to me, doesn't necessarily say you have bad enough judgment that I don't want you as president, but somebody's making some bad decisions because you make enough decisions to, to kick up enough smoke all the time. All the time. <laughs> I'm like, and... And I, and once again, being from Chicago, knowing how uh, crooked politics can can be, the daily, because our the last daily politics, yeah, and our last three governors are in prison. Yeah, <laughs> so, they are. <laughs> so I mean, so I know how crooked politics can be, uh, but every time there has been smoke, we found flames somewhere. Yes, yes. And uh, and the thing with the Clintons is. Uh, and trust me, the Daily Machine is the best at it. Oh God, yes. Oh, they're the, like they the Clintons aren't nearly as good as the Daily Machine <laughs> is at this politics they, thing. They, 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 they took right, something right out of Boss Pendergast's book. Oh, there, man, it's they just, learned well from the boss. They've done some amazingly gangster things at the Daily Machine, and uh, and gotten right. And hey, not only did the gangster thing, did the gangster thing <laughs> in almost broad daylight. And, and say, hey, what you gonna do? <laughs> what you, you gonna sue me? What you gonna you gonna take me to jail? What you gonna do? And and what happens is, no. What do you mean the Daily Machine? What do you mean? Uh, oh, the uh, the Daily Family, family. family. Oh. ran Chicago. Oh, forever. like then that's their last. Yes, name. their last. Okay, name. yeah. 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 And, and, and there's a Daily in. <coughs> is he a senator or in Congress right now? Actually, they started oh, back in the fifties, didn't they? Yeah, no, I'm thinking the, the one daily that's actually still in politics right now. He's in Congress or the Senate. I think he's in Congress. But um, it's just been amazing. Like, Pop Daly, you know, uh, he was, you know, the original, you know, you know pol political boss. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they, they say 
that uh, there was a call put out to him that got uh, that got uh, got the last minute votes that put Kennedy in office because he was able that to sway the entire union system to yeah, uh, they, they had dead people voting. The amount of dead people voted that voted in Chicago in that election. <laughs> I could, uh, once again, uh, being from Chicago, I know how crooked it can get. And I know how good a crooked politician can be at being crooked. And the Clintons just don't, from what I have grown up seeing, they just don't rise to that level. Not saying that, they're, that they've never done anything crooked. Well, they don't but, but I don't see them being good enough to never... The fire to never get caught. That, that's my point. Is that sometimes they're almost amateurish. Exactly. Like I mean, I remember after nine eleven. I don't know what the money and, and things are behind them that are able to make them yeah. bail out of stuff. Who, who to be able to bail out of stuff like that? I'll give Slick Willie one thing. He's he's a smart dude. Hey man. Look, I mean, he's a Rhodes Scholar. Don't it's ever not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, look, after I don't think his wife is as intelligent as he is. I, I think she's, think she's as intelligent. I don't think she is as slick. I don't think she knows how. I think she's neither. She, she, <laughs> she failed the bar twice in D.C. Uh, you know, and had to pass, had to pass it in Arkansas. Mm. And if you look at the rise of her in, in her career. Ooh. Just so happened she got promoted at every law firm she was at as soon as he got elected to higher and higher office. Uh, so there's there's a little more there than just meets the eye. Yeah. Once uh, again a lot of smoke. Exactly. Exactly. But people, I mean but I will I mean, but I will say pay for influence. But 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 I will they say do. That's, I will say that's this. true. People play, pay for influence. And this is and it's, which is very true. I mean, you know, actually I just saw a documentary on Netflix and I was saying as soon as we get an opportunity, I want the anonymous female and I to both watch it. Uh, it was a documentary with uh, Noam Chomsky and he was um, there's a it was basically the it's called the Requiem of the American Dream. And it's basically the 10-step pro plan how you you kind of pacify and control a democratic society. And it is super scary that basically we live in that in the system because when the founding fathers uh, decided that this was going to be a democracy, um, the question of Okay, democracy happens one of two ways. Um, either you make sure that the um, that the poor and uh, more underprivileged um, aren't as poor and underprivileged, so that they feel okay about contributing to the system. Uh, the rich may not be, um, you know, four hundred times richer, but you may be a hundred times richer than than your than your employees, or the other way, and, and Aristotle actually said that, um, and uh, or the other way is um, to <clears throat> lessen democracy itself, and you have to chip away at little things, keep people kind of divided on little things, so that they're not focused on the fact that um, money is feeding power, is feeding money, is feeding power. And the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, 
And if you say something or you kind of uprise a little bit, you know, we'll, we'll figure out ways to kind of tap that down so that, you know, money feeds power, feeds money, feeds power. And, which is really the direction America decided to take versus, you know, so one way sounds more socialist, one way sounds exactly like the system we have because it is the system we have. And, uh, and I'm not going to necessarily say that, you know, uh, you know, either way is, is wrong. You know, I'm going to leave that uh, up to our listeners out there to figure out for themselves and, and say what they believe. But um, it was super interesting. Netflix, Requiem uh, for the American Dream. Um, please check that out if you get the opportunity. Socrates called democracy the absolute worst form of government you could ever have. Mm. On the scale of governments, he said it was the absolute worst because there's no search for truth, it's too manipulable, and it has nothing to do with morality. Um, it literally just has to do with whichever way the wind's blowing and you can trick people into voting for what. Yeah. Um, and I was very adamant about it. But, and again, that's from a philosophical perspective. You could also turn around and make the argument, well, the American experiment with democracy has turned out to be pretty freaking great. Uh, so that's, there's maybe that argument on the flip side. But it's not about a search for truth. It's, it's literally no. just how many people can you convince to be on your side? How many times in the last, let's even cut it down to 16 years, yeah. how many times have you seen Americans make policy based on reactionary, scared tactics, starting with George Bush convincing somehow everybody that Iraq uh, had something to do with 9-11, we completely overreacted. People now who want to backtrack from the war forget that every poll showed that 98% of all Americans were ready to go to a war with Iraq. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had zero problem with it. Yeah. Uh, we, only we, we got mad and wanted to fight somebody. Only mm-hmm. one person in the entire Congress decided not to vote for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Bernie Sanders, wasn't it? Uh, maybe. It could have been. I think it was Bernie Sanders. I thought, uh, I love that but I thought McCain didn't... Uh, no, we can't. Did, to begin but, with. But, but people start doing this revisionist history when things go bad, and we have a history of doing this. I've said this before on the podcast. In 1943, over 50% of Americans wanted to sue Nazi Germany for peace at any cost. And we're as a greatest generation. Oh my God, this is great. Well, no. Yeah. Not the greatest generation. And congratulations, they, they fought fucking hard and awesome. Glad we didn't pull out. But more than half the country wanted to. You know, that yeah. doesn't strike me as no, a this generation. Right. It strikes me as a normal generation. Yeah. 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 Well, the thing I find about the second theory of democracy, with power feeding power, is that that's gone on so long now. Yeah. That's what's fueled Bernie Sanders and Donald and Trump. Donald, exactly. Which was a conclusion that it eventually came to. That... They, they you eventually make the electorate so angry. You get to the point where you're making reactionary decisions and you're electing people from a reactionary standpoint rather than an intellectual standpoint. You're voting to go to wars because you're because you're angry on a on a on a on a level that you don't even necessarily even recognize anymore. Because you know, uh 
you know, because it's it's just difficult for you know the waitress with you know two kids trying to pull double shifts to just live, and, but that is due to the policies that you're voting for when you put people in office and the cycle goes around. I just thought it was really interesting that, uh, you know, without even um, seeing the the documentary that you both touched on one of the points of the 10-point plan of how you you do this. And I thought it was just really, really... uh, interesting and well done and uh, and you know he was basically saying that there's only been one actual decade that has been truly truly transformative in American policy and practice and then they've done everything in their power since that decade to never let that decade happen again but because they're doing everything in their power not to go back there, we're going to go back there. Mm-hmm. And of course, that decade was the 60s, when, when everybody was fighting in the streets for their rights and forcing the government to do something. And, uh, and, and you know, historically, if I don't care what country it is, if you actually want the government to do something, people got to... People gotta give a damn. You gotta uprise. Those, you gotta those, fight. Those protests were right. nothing. What happened was really it, the Vietnam War got out of hand, and people all of a sudden demanded a change. The protests didn't do shit. The one percent movement thing, all that bullshit, that didn't change anything. I mean, everybody thinks protests are you know these big deals, and and I applaud people for you know getting out there and fighting for what they think, or at least demonstrating for what they think is right. The vast majority of the time, it's young kids who don't vote anyway, probably aren't even registered, to be perfectly honest, who think they know what the hell they're talking about, but they really don't. Nobody in this country is a policy wonk except for the handful of people that (laughs) really run the inner circle of this country. And my problem is not with election time. Yeah. It's the four years that pass in between election time when we don't give a shit what happens. You know, we don't pay, we don't pay attention to the laws. We don't pay anything. Oh yeah, nobody goes and votes in their local elections. Well, I think one of the things oh, is that, that stirred much more shit in the Vietnam War. It became obvious after some of the soldiers started coming back that they weren't fighting the war to win. They were fighting the war to be an economic machine to propagate the the, the defense contractors so that they made money because. You go back and read about the Vietnam War, and they had many chances to win it. They actually had it won at times, and they pulled right back and didn't go after it. And I and I, I think, I think America, had, in the '60s, and I, and I was a child of the '60s, sure. still had. We had the Cold War going on every night. You listen to Walter Cronkite every night to find out what was going on in the Cold War. We watched TV as a family every night. Sure, so do we. Yeah, you're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna pay attention to that. Well, but we but did it got to the point too. where they aren't they aren't fighting the war to win, and and I think that really upset a whole lot of people and say, you know, come on, if you're not gonna fight to win, bring the boys home. And I, and again, I think this is a, a problem that we have now, which is America does not want to be seen as taking over 
uh, being a colonial power and taking over. They won't be imperialist. Uh, yeah, and, and to some degree, you you we were there to support uh, Southern Vietnam and try to keep them from becoming communist. And all the way back to the Truman Doctrine, then the French came in and fucked up Vietnam right. really bad, and all of a sudden you have this incredibly strong, very tricky underground movement. You know, so yeah, we killed a lot more. Uh, Vietnamese and they did of us. I mean, really, if you look back at that war, I think we had 350,000 casualties in that war, which is a, a tremendously huge amount in a historical context. But that's what. That's also the first war where the media got in there and was embedded very strong. Besides World War correct. II, and 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 started crying out against killing civilians. Yeah, and that where in World War II that didn't matter. We we were going to wipe we're, out the we're Nazis. Out cities. You know, whatever happened, Dusseldorf, you know, look at Dusseldorf who just sure. bombed, bombed the smithereens. We blew up an entire city in Germany and didn't fucking care who was yeah. in the mix. We're going to win the war. Yep. And that was their attitude. And, and and I think by the time Vietnam got there, even Korea somewhat yeah. was that case. That was really the start of it. Well, I think people realized Korea was a stalemate once, you know, Truman had to fire MacArthur. Like, that war was already done. And then MacArthur, being the jackass that he was, completely went across the 48th parallel and got the Chinese involved. And all of a sudden you're not looking at a war against North Korea, you're looking at a war against China, and they just started flooding into the country yep. and pushed us way back. And I mean, it was a fucking fight to get back to the 40th parallel. I, I'm reading a book right now about North Korea and, and some things like that, and it is hard to read. In fact, I, I got to a bad part last night about how what, what they're basically concentration camps are. Their labor camps and what they do to people. I had some bad dreams watching. Mm. And because it disturbed me after I read it enough to where it, it got it's to my head. Yeah. These are bad, bad people. I mean, they're really bad people. And it's too bad that we could have had a uniform, unified Korea if they would have done their job. We could have had that. Well, the most beautiful picture you can ever look at is a satellite image at night of the Korean Peninsula. And literally, at the 48th parallel, south of it, you see lights, bustling cities, Samsung, LG, everything else is down there. They're an electronic hub of the universe. And then you look at the north side, it's dark. <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> you can't Completely get to dark. look for it. <coughs> it's just ridiculous. They turn their electricity off every night. Yes, it's, it's sometimes during the day. That's insane. Why, why do they do that? Well, they I mean, that's money. off topic. They have no money. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have China is literally just floating in that country. So I don't, that's it. Nice. Anyway, got off a little, little bit off subject there, but it all kind of tied in together yeah. with some different things, you know? I think it ties in together very, very strongly in the sense that Americans do not pay attention except for maybe eight to twelve weeks before presidential election, at which point you're not really listening to facts, you're listening to what you already want to believe in, yeah. uh, and trying to be validated in your thoughts, um, and not going into it. <coughs> I know so many people who are hardliner Republicans who vote all Republican regardless, all Democrat regardless. I'm like, you know what? So polarized. You're telling me that really you can't find anything to like about the other party at any point? Like nothing? I mean, I there's been you. times that I've voted that I've n I don't think I've ever just voted straight. 
like you know you go in you hit the one I never have I, I don't think I ever have a lot of people that do oh yeah it's a lot of people never have and I feel like to your point that's very ill-informed or uninformed or whatever you want to call it you know. well, this is also a good time for me to uh, reannounce my candidacy for the Socialist Conservative <laughs> Party. <laughs> Dave, big Dave Elliott. Yes, you know I'm, I'm, I'm looking for at least 25 votes. So you know, vote for me. Thank you. I, mean, right. I, I do believe if you look at the two parties, there's an inherent contradiction in both of them. Yeah. Which is Democrats say you can do anything you want, and we don't care. Also, we would love your tax money to pay for it. And Republicans don't want you to do anything, you know, but they want you to be able to keep all your money. You're something like this is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, somewhere you know, in the middle, obviously, is the answer. I but. mean, truly, there's that. That's the inherent contradiction. Yeah. So, which baffles me when you do get straight party ticket voters. I mean, you really are okay with both sides of what is clearly <laughs> a, a, you know, a discrepancy mm-hmm. in logic. It makes no sense. I, I, I got a prediction, and I'll be interested to see if I'm right in four years. You will. You are going to see a moderate candidate come out. That's going to expound social values that have to be done to take care of the basic folks. But yet still say, we are a capitalist, democratic society, and this is what we're going to do. And they have that nice mix. I think if anybody really came out and had the right ideas, like Big Dave Elliott. They definitely uh, can't use the word social anything (laughs) if they want to. Well, but I think they can. I think they can. Believe it or not, I, I, I sat beside Eric Greetings, the, the Greetings, Greetings, whatever, the gubernatorial candidate for Missouri, oh, uh, which is kind of like Eric Trump Greg, in a way. Greg, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's an outsider, never been in office before. And I was truly amazed at how many times he said, look, we, we can't have, and even though it's a federal program, we can't have people working 23 hours a week because they can't work any more than that because they get taken off their supplement. We have to find ways to bring things forward, which is, you know, I was able to bring my example in 2013 where I hired 13 inner city boys, mm-hmm. and I couldn't get any of them to work more than 23 hours, and it kind of freaked me out at first. So why can't I get these guys to come to work? A couple of pretty good workers, a couple more you know, smart enough kids to figure out. A couple of them weren't. A couple of them were just, you know, they had no business being out there. But I couldn't get them to work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I said to him, I said, you're going to pay them a supplement anyway. Tell them that if they get a 40-hour-a-week job, we're going to give you that supplement along with your 40-hour-a-week job for six months. And after six months, you, this is your opportunity to get on your feet. Mm-hmm. You get a decent ride, get a decent place to live. You don't get nothing for six more months. Well, the question from one of my friends said, well, why don't they don't make it while they fall through the cracks? Okay, well, that, that's a good point. But that's where the union missions, the Catholic charities, the church charities would have to fall into place. And I think you would see more philanthropy form to help these people. Yeah. Six months later, you get to try this again. We're going to give you a second chance because now you've seen what you did and you failed. I think the second time around, you'll get more people to come into play again. I think it, something like that is a good program because you're giving people a chance to bring themselves up and get off what is the government tip. Yeah. I think you have to find people that want to help themselves, though. Yes, but you but yeah. you might be able to create an atmosphere where you some people see other people succeed. Yeah, and then they go, 
Change doesn't happen fast. Welfare reform will never. Remember, you asked me if we were going to be one of the questions we had? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welfare reform is my first thing I talked about. Yeah. And I think that is one of the most important things we really got to do. But if the people see people succeed, they're liable to say, why did you succeed? One gets two, two gets four, four gets eight. Yeah. It multiplies. It happens slowly, but it does multiply. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe that would be the case. And then, you, you know, we're going to have to deal with immigration reform in that aspect, too. Because those people have to be able to go out and get those jobs and not be taken in by, by people that are working for, for under wage because they're illegal in the, in the country right now. Okay, enough of my platform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, I think, again, I think so many, so many times you can look at this country where laws are passed with the best of intentions and the worst of possible outcomes. And that happens all the time. As soon as you set and you start catering to the least common denominator, you establish rules that, yes. again, like you were saying, a 23 hour week because otherwise I'll lose my benefits. Well, now you have a disincentive for work. And so people know as soon as they, I knew when I worked at a gas station, work overnight at a gas station sometimes. I was poor than dirt, worked overnight from 10 to 6 in the morning and I knew people who were having kids just to get extra checks. Actually, yeah, actually, yeah. my daughter works work overnight at the I know gas people, station for a while. I know people who have kids so they can stay on government oh, programs. Yep. So I mean, that's that's yep, that, that leaves you on the work. plantation. Well, yeah. and I think I think. Um, Let's not use the word plantation around here. I, <laughs> so it, is, it, is, it is somewhat I'm true. I'm I'm I understand that. what you're saying, though. <laughs> it's a difficult word. It is. Yeah, you know what's funny. Uh, yeah, it, it's truly funny, but uh, I remember uh, at work, um, there's a guy who uh, he's a member of the organization that I work for, and he's in Virginia, and they've got oh I don't know it's it's I don't know if it's like like a nut company or or something <laughs> like that, but they but every Christmas. He's sending, you know, a basket of, uh, of, of uh, plantation products over. And I just remember, I, every time I would see him, I'd be like, God damn it. <laughs> he can't pick something else. You know, just the word drives me bananas. But um, sometimes it's the most apt uh, descriptor of, of a system or, or because a, a lot of times, especially with our... Uh, our system of, you know, having people on, you know, welfare or or other systems uh, like it, it is kind of like a plantation. It's that, not that designed to so, get them off of. It's, it's so difficult to get off. Let, let, mm. Look at the history of what has happened, I, especially to Africans Americans in this country. You went from literally slavery on plantations, mm -hmm. uh, and very few people in this country actually owned slaves are going to afford them. The vast majority did not. Exactly. Uh, but then you went from that to crop sharing situations where they literally just robbed you blind to work the land and you were paid but it was just stolen from you because you could never get ahead. Then you went to Jim Crow laws and segregation and just said we're going to stay on this all together. Yeah. And then finally you get to a point where you think there's voting rights and all those kind of things that's going to make a big difference. That's been a generation and a half. 
Yeah. And people yeah. look at it and go, I can't believe this has a, like, everything's fair. I always make an analogy. Yeah, it's like you literally know? beating the shit out of a kid forever. And then just going, oh, fight's over. Yeah. You know, we're even now. Yeah, we're so right. all good. Yeah, like, you know, and the funny thing is, now. is it's, now it's just moved. You know, now it's, you know, there were slaves on plantations. Then slavery was abolished, and like you say, then they were sharecropping, and then there was kind of the Jim Crow system in the sharecropping South. Sharecropping was going on at the same time as slavery. Yeah, well, it, it I should really say it came before, into vogue afterwards. Yeah, right. And, but then, but after, okay. during, and after the mm -hmm. Jim Crow, Jim Crow period is when um, our prison complex grew so much mm -hmm. because. Um, yeah, which uh, another uh, uh, amazing documentary on Netflix, Thirteenth, uh, um, talks about Thirteenth Amendment and, of course, uh, talking about the ab uh, abolishment of slavery, except for uh, those persons uh, in prison. And so, uh, watching um, the shift from slaves. We still need to get your Netflix up and Yeah, slave to imprisoned persons. And now there are more more blacks in prison than there ever were slaves. Which which has a lot to do with the, with the type of prohibition. And it's a prohibition on drugs. Which is no different than a prohibition on alcohol in a way. Because they pit out all those laws. And if you get busted with crack, you get busted with coke, you get busted with dope. You know, you when I got into my original trouble, and, I, and I'll be the first to tell you, it was white privilege that I got run out of town. If I hadn't got run out of town, I was doing seven years. Yeah. But in 13... Where, where, where would a day's life been? Oh, yeah. Had you if, not if I had done break. seven years, would I be sitting here today? Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. And Absolutely not. My chances, my, I wouldn't say maybe not, but my chances would have been very, 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 very different. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very different. Very in 13th, though, they talk about how different the um, prison term or lack of it was for cocaine versus crack because cocaine was white. Oh, yeah. And it was, and crack it was a classy drug. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think it was beyond drugs, I think, at some point. And I do not think this is a white problem only. I'm going to say to a large degree. This is also an African-American problem, a Hispanic problem. Um, you, you have to build an economic infrastructure. You have to build an economic infrastructure in some of these communities. And there have been a lot of programs that are designed to do that. Some of them backfire horrifically, which in my opinion led to the 2008 housing bubble. Yeah. But uh, until you're in it, it goes beyond drugs. Until you're able to find a way to build, to truly build an economic infrastructure um, in these communities, it's going to, the problem's just going to escalate. And that's not just a white problem, it is literally neighborhoods coming together, as we've talked about before, like, I can't imagine living in a neighborhood where I wouldn't turn in my neighbor for shooting somebody. It yeah. happens all the time, two miles from here. Oh yeah, sure. like, I mean, like I say, like at some yeah. point. Being from where I'm from, I do, yeah, people do yeah, not like, just turn, just turn over somebody um, most of the times they think the streets will handle it and and sometimes the streets will handle it but the problem is you have these people that are basically trapped in a war zone 
you know, some are too scared to talk, you know, some, and the ones that aren't too scared to talk, you know, they're, they, they're constantly thinking of the possibility of retaliation. Absolutely, but this is where neighborhoods and communities that band together actually outweigh. If you ever look at just, honestly, if you just took the numbers and said, if we banded together, yeah, and absolutely. actually outfought the criminals. Ivanhoe neighborhood here in Kansas yeah, City yeah, is one of those right. examples where the Ivanhoe neighborhood has kept some watch. You know, I, I, I go back once again, you know, where I mentioned in a former podcast <coughs> is that I would love to see a lot of the artists and, and, and even actors and athletes saying snitches get stitches is a bad deal. I really think that they would come out and start saying things. They would start changing a thought process after a while. Now, they risk, they risk a lot of cred in their communities doing that. Yeah, a lot, and a lot of times, it, a lot of times people but, do. But, 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 but I think you're people, right. I those think, are their heroes. That's who they look uh, up I to. I think it starts at a neighborhood level, and I'll give you a great example of one that happened here locally, which is when the Waldo Rapist was running around. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. The entire Waldo area got together and formed neighborhood watches at night. They would all take turns. You'd sign up for shifts, and you would monitor the neighborhoods looking for anybody suspicious that, you know, yeah. But what's the demographic the in the Waldo area? It's actually a fairly mixed neighborhood, to be perfectly honest. Because there's a lot of very, fo- I mean, Brookside's not, but Waldo certainly is. Okay. And it was a very mixed neighborhood, and it was all kinds of people mm-hmm. who came out and got together and said, this is, this one, is killing our property value. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's just being driven <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, don't mess with so people's bad. property value. Try to, sell your, <laughs> try to sell your house in Waldo at that point yeah. when there's a Waldo rapist right now. Yeah, I will, so, I will say this. Before I before I go to to the next thing because we're we're uh, tightening up on time, but uh, you know when you're you know and and this is not uh, to uh, to denigrate or pile on uh, police, but I will say this in a lot of uh, you know poor and underprivileged neighborhoods, the response time for the police is like it's horrific. You know, if you do, cause like, like, like my grandparents, they would have called police on anybody. You know, they sure. know. Look, there was a vacant lot next door. If they saw you in there loitering, they looked like people were doing hand to hands or whatever. They were calling the police. The problem is, if the police don't show up for 15 minutes, you know that, you know, like that's the problem. Like the activity is either over, or they. They then do the incredibly stupid thing of knocking on your door. Uh, you called the police. What's going on? Like now, the entire block's going. Ah, that's the yeah, snitch yeah. house. Or they'll show up with sirens and lights yeah. on, and yeah. you can hear it coming a mile away, and they yeah. just take off. Exactly. I know right. three different cases where that happened with the Waldo rapist, where people actually called because they had a break in in their house. Mm. So he would break in a basement window or oh. things like that and get in and. They called the police, and the, all of a sudden you hear all these sirens and <laughs> right, shit like right, that right, coming right. in the street. And if you're the wall of rapists sitting in the house, <laughs> you're getting the fuck out of there. And you got a, you got a three minute head start. Exactly. Well, some, <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes the police really don't want to engage these people either. Yeah, yeah, and that's and, and especially, that, especially nowadays. And that's definitely. And it, de- it depends on if you get it. You get that one cop, and you know, one and. 
I don't know what the statistic would be. Brian's not here. Just so. that one bad kid and <laughs> yeah. one, one right. bad cop, and they interact, and uh, yeah. like I said, well, they, or they don't interact. If they pulled out the bong and got right. high together, they'd be we a were, lot better off. We went to the American Royal <laughs> Friday, yeah. and hey, the state know. troopers were at every entrance of the speedway. Not a single one of them looked up when we drove by, when there was traffic jams, when we were trying to cross traffic. I mean, I'm really not sure why they were there, because at one point, I think Mario saw one of them sitting in his car reading a book. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, what's no the point? Well, they wouldn't let me take a left turn. I was trying to go over my buddy's like, house. Like I had to go just, all the way down. Like if you're just there to collect the overtime. So Give it to somebody else that wants worst. to do the job. There's corrupt as anybody else. Yeah. I mean, like, now the few I cops that I know so. personally aren't, but the many that once I know again, are, <laughs> and I know that most of them are on the take. They will overlook a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. I used to literally give bags of money to cops when we had the gambling ring in the gas station. <laughs> they would come in. It'd be wrapped up as a sandwich. Everybody knew not to open it. Right. They would order a pastrami sandwich from and you give it to them and they go on their way. There you go. Here's yeah, your pastrami sandwich that for wasn't the That was not normal at all. It was not even remotely abnormal. No. Makes, yeah, you know, happened once again, Friday night. being from where I'm really from, sad. being from where I'm from, I know that is exactly true. <laughs> If you if you have enough, they're coming to get you now. Speaking you of, uh, we've been talking bad about them. Here they come. I got, I got five minutes to run. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, that's the truth. All right, so uh, some uh, actually much deeper conversation than I was even expecting, and uh, I'm really glad that we got a chance to uh, delve a little bit uh, into some of these issues. Um, so I want to get to something, uh, a couple of things real quick that are a lot lighter. Okay, before uh, we finish this, can I ask you just one quick question? Yeah, 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 please. Because I think you're the most interesting experience on this, and this is something I would never, ever be able to recreate in my life. Yeah. I dislike cops because I think I've seen them. I've seen them on the move, and I distrust them. Right. But generally, those were like financial payoffs and money shit like right. that. Coming from... Chicago and being an African American, what is the level, the true level of distrust for police in a larger metropolitan? Oh, community? it is wild. It is wild distrust. Um, for example, um, are you going to tell the car? Um, I actually got two stories, and that's one of them. Um, so when I was younger, just literally walking to the the corner store, we were in the middle of the block. Um, on both sides of my uh, the apartment building we lived in were vacant lots. Across the street was a vacant lot. You cut through the lot and literally you cut through the lot there's the store. Right. And, um, and there at was, least... And there was a trail there that you least, walked every day, right? Well, at least, oh yeah, every day. At least five times. Um, especially if I was walking with a friend. We got jammed up against the wall. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, patting us down, you know, talking really reckless, you know, and not patting us down, like smacking us down, really. Right. And uh, and so the the reason it, I, I've definitely been pulled uh, pulled over for driving while black oh, yeah. several times. At DWB? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. 
Um, I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, that's a that DWB is, a thing. is like a fairly common that is a, expression. That is a thing. Every time we talk about stuff like this, it just makes me sad. Yeah, well, but I want it's a reality. It's yeah. a reality. It is. I, it is, and okay. I, I understand that, but it doesn't yeah. mean I have to like it. Yeah. So I remember one time uh, I was a teenager, and uh, it's me. <laughs> I look back on the situation now and laugh because I'm just like, whatever. So it was me, my boy Marshall, who's black, my boy Marcello, who's black, uh, my boy Les, who's white, and my boy Mike, who's white. So I'm driving, Mike's in the passenger seat, the other three guys are in the back. We're looking for this house party. And we're in a suburb that we don't, we don't live in, but we, got, uh, we heard about this party, we're looking for the place. Um, which one are you in? Oh yeah, so yeah, so we got well, which, so we, so, which neighborhood? Uh, oh, um, Lan Lansing. Okay, Lansing. So it's a south suburb. Right. So we get pulled over, and uh, the cop says, and uh, 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 for anybody out there who was who was offended by such language, please excuse me, but I can't tell the story without it. Uh, cop pulls me over, and. Uh, and uh, you know, ask for license and registration and uh, all that. Um, so I tell Mike, go in the glove box, get my insurance card out, blah blah blah. You don't get it. No, I don't reach for it. I say, Mike. In fact, I say it with a cop here. Uh, Mike, go in the glove box. My insurance and everything is in there, so I can give it to the officer. He goes in, he gets it, hands it to me. I hand it to the officer. He looks at it. He he looks at it. He shines the flashlight in the car, uh, looking to see who's in there. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this dick. No, but, but you know, but so then, uh, <laughs> you know how they've got the the calm on their shoulder, and and he literally goes, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I want you to run a play for me, give him a play. You know, he said, "Yeah, because I've got uh, I've got uh, three niggas a white guy possible in the car, and uh, I want to make sure." And Mike, who's sitting next to me, <laughs> he goes, "Did he say three niggas a white guy are possible?" <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and I'm like, Mike, shut, shut the fuck up. up. <laughs> 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 and wait, because you're the possible. <laughs> like, because Mike is the blackest white guy uh, I've ever met in my life. This is why Mario tells me often that I'm going to get him shot one day because of my road rage. And I'm like, I didn't yell at him. I didn't get out of the car. I didn't hand gesture. Well, I yelled at him, but they don't know what I'm saying. But it's, but the, I guess. Coming from Chicago. Yeah. So the, the funny thing, uh, you know, to, the funny thing is it's funny and it's sad is that you know as a black person in America those types of situations are way more commonplace than anybody wants to uh, wants to admit and uh, and like I say I've definitely been pulled over more times than I care to mention um, especially uh, when you're younger which is the problem of why there's so much mistrust. You know, at this point in my life, um, you know, I'm not getting pulled over like that for anything. But, you know, you know, when you're when you're young and spry, you know, yeah, you get pulled over a lot for absolutely nothing. And uh, 
and and they want to and they want to just check everything, roust you about anything. I think about well, that, that that tail light is out. Well, so I, you know, I, I, it, I can yeah. promise you in Southeast Texas, it doesn't matter what color you are. If you're young and you look punk, <laughs> you're gonna you get your ass pulled over yeah, and. Yeah. Uh, Particularly one night we got pulled over in Silsby, Texas, and uh, loaded us into the cop car, took us to the local judge in his furniture store, and <laughs> oh, he basically looked at it and said, pull out your wallets and show me how much money you have. <laughs> and whatever money, we were going up to a party in Jasper, and I remember how much money we had, because we had beer in the car, of course they took our beer, I'm sure they drank it, and took all of our money, and we just... Mike and I looked at each other and just said, I'll also go back home now. <laughs> I got no beer, I got no money. Right, right, right. You got enough gas to get home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about all you might have is gas enough to get home. So, you know, this ain't going to happen any place, any time. just depends what you look like at that age. And I, I look like a teenage degenerate, so, you know, I, I was what I was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say it happens disproportionately to black kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, so look, I was a Catholic school kid mm -hmm. the whole I have nine yards. I was, that, you know, and yeah, all the time. I'm like, I, I had friends who probably should have got pulled over all, all the time. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it you know it happens to the to the best and worst of us. You know? Right. Yeah, right. It's a rule of thumb in my world. Like, when they want to look in your car, the answer is no. When they want to look in your trunk, the answer is no. Not getting out of the car unless you give me some reason why. Oh, I need to get out. Why I have to, to explain why you need me to get out of the car first. Mm -hmm. But see, I think that's the. I think that kind of goes back to what you were just asking. Like, without really thinking about it, they're they're going to give you the answers. Yeah. If Mario were to say the same thing, it would be a different conversation. And oh, okay. especially well, in Chicago. I, I would in but, Chicago. I would absolutely yeah. definitely agree. I, I think in Kansas City, though, I would definitely. I, I I think depending on once again who the cop is. And I'll tell you bizarrely, like who the cop. I know I know a lot of lawyers, and they say strangely, they're, they're the worst people. place to go is Fairway and uh, Privilege. Mm. Worst cops uh, around. And they will just beat the living shit out of you for nothing. They're just looking for just look yeah just looking for a fight. So that's interesting. Yeah. All right. So on a much lighter note, um, <laughs> the Cubs are going to Game Six of the World Series, ladies and gentlemen. We gotta get some. Gotta get a round of applause for the Cubs going to Game Six of the World Series. About six. Now, <laughs> now uh, whether no. whether or not uh, you are a fan of the Cubs, um, I, of course, being from Chicago, this is a very big deal for me. Because the Cubs haven't won a World Series since 1908, haven't been to the World Series since 1945. Um, so uh, this, to me, feels like it had to feel, and of course I was here, but it had to feel for a native Kansas Cityan just a year or two ago when the when the Royals were just tearing it up, and uh, and and so right now, yes, I would love for the Cubs to. Uh, to take it home, um, I think Cleveland already got their championship for the year. <laughs> I want to come take it I home. I want to make me a Red Sox fan. I have a very point, important point to make. Mm -hmm. All right, who's your general manager of the Cubbies? Theo Epstein. Yes, that's <laughs> true. All right, who's the manager for the uh, Indians? Terry Francona. 
Mike Napoli was also a Red Sox. All right. Yeah. Now, those are the same people that orchestrated the 2004-2006 World Series championships for the Red Sox, yes, they right? Did. Yes, they did. Which, which is one of the reasons that I'm feeling so good about this particular year, this particular team. Damn. Because, shut up. <laughs> because, <laughs> because they do have a squad around them that has taken a team all the way to the, a team that didn't seem like they would get to the show all the way to winning the show. Bada bing. Um, so, um, whether or not they win, I'm super happy and super proud that they even gotten there. I'm glad they won one in Chicago. But could yes. you imagine if they got swept there? Oh God, that would have been the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> this series would have been done. Oh yeah. But having said that, this has been my least favorite World Series ever, and I, and I will explain why. Yeah. One, I think it's the most exciting. I've loved it. Yeah. Uh, but. If Chicago wins, I find that to be the end of a remarkable story. Mm. Like the the 108 year drought or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I guess it is 108 years. Is part of what makes the Cubs the lovable Cubs. Oh yeah, you absolutely. Know? And absolutely. so as soon as that's lost, it's kind of like yeah, okay, that's one of the coolest stories in baseball that's now gone. Because every year, it's only cool you want... if you're not in Chicago. <laughs> I get it, but I mean, like it it really is the. But end I do of, understand. What it you're is saying. the end of a uh-huh. weird cool, fascinating story. And I also have obviously been in the L Central, I have no love for Cleveland, but beyond that, uh, it ta- I feel like it diminishes what the Royals were able to do over the last couple of years, which is the argument used to always be big money baseball will always win and the game sucks and yada yada, and now all of a sudden you have Kansas City winning and now Cleveland's winning and with these lower payrolls and all this stuff, and now anybody can win. And so in a, in a bizarre way, and I love football because anybody can win in any given, any given year. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's just, you can, well, Chiefs were mm-hmm. the worst to the best uh, and had the most quickest turnaround, I guess, in NFL history. Um, that when you're from Romeo, Cornell, and Andy Reid. Yeah. But it was, that's the nature of football, set up fairly. Baseball, the argument has always been it's not set up fairly, and now the excuse that small market teams can't win is gone. Yeah, but I say, uh, right. yeah. Well, but I say the uh, the uh, the yeah. uh, the era of of Moneyball has definitely right. changed the way baseball is played. Well, and, uh, well, the Red Sox, you know, they beat the curse of the Bambino, right? Yes. So even if the Cubbies don't win, at least they neuter the goat. <laughs> the goat okay. may still be there, but you don't have any balls no more. Okay, all right, all right. I'll all take right. That. So I'll goat, take the goat is the least neutered. That's I'll take it. That's I'll take that. All right, you're on the goat. I okay, I'm going there. I'll take that. <laughs> all right. So lastly, uh, on last podcast, I mentioned uh, that uh, it's kind of uh, scaring me because it seems as if the uh, if the American uh, electorate and politics are heading toward um, the reality of a film that I, I saw called Idiocracy. And I just saw online that uh, <laughs> that they they were that the uh, the rentals and uh, you know I don't I can't remember if it was Netflix but whatever services that Idiocracy is on. Um, is uh, is jumping through the roof because 
a lot of people had never seen it and they're starting to hear about this this movie and how closely uh, this is you know resembling <laughs> our reality right now and I just thought it was funny that um, several times actually in uh, in this this year that we've been doing the podcast I've mentioned idiocracy and uh, and now uh, it's starting to get more widely viewed and more widely scrutinized because uh, because people are going what the hell is going on this shit is scary man. for 12 weeks it is scary yeah a billion dollars to get elected that's scary I mean they're not Brock Brock had even more than that President Obama had even more than that they're not going to break his record but it's going to be dang close a billion dollars to get elected that's idiocracy that's a that that, that totally destroys what, what what we think about what should be done to get somebody elected. Absolutely, in, in my mind, I don't think it does, and I, I really don't. And I I don't think money plays nearly as large a part in it as it does. I, I definitely understand the point. In the general election, if you looked at it, uh, Trump was by no means the most well-funded candidate. Still in the primary, one um, why Hillary was the most funded candidate, and who would have thought she would have gone. It's, it's interesting. There's a certain point where I think it, it mediates itself out. Um, Median got elected so they could turn around and beat him down. Well, Somewhat. Maybe, maybe not, but I... I, I they, they, they wanted him. I don't think it was nearly that... I, I don't know that that's the explanation. I really think that when you're doing these primaries, you're appealing to rabid voters. And one, the turnout for on either side is, is exceptionally low, and you promise all kinds of stupid shit just to get your base out to vote for you. Well, and, and that doesn't require a lot of money. They also proved that um, a lot of Trumps, he didn't need it because he was getting free media attention. Oh, well, he got a ton of it. So sure. he didn't have to pay like for I said, it. I would agree. But they got him out there and so they could turn around. Certain media got him out there so they could turn around and say, now we got a show. Yeah. Now we got a show. Listen, it, it, everybody realizes I'm getting the entertainment, but I also I also would believe that they did more debates in this election than any other time in history. I think for the people that watched them, which are primarily rabid hardcore political voters, when you're at that point, uh, it would have been just as easy to vote for a Rubio or a Cruz or something else. And they didn't they didn't carry the day. They didn't have the personality. Yeah. They lost based on. Bill Clinton should never have been elected. He was a governor of Arkansas, which is a failing state in every way. But he and he didn't have that much money back then. But he had the charisma to win it. Yeah. And you have Ross Perot coming in, who's just a crazy motherfucker, and take twenty percent of the vote. Big so, I mean, it, it was a it was a nuts time. <laughs> and I think now is an equally nuts time. You have this guy who can draw media attention and the voice gets money. Ah, I'm Ross Perot. You know, he's just yeah. had the most horrible voice. In the that world. was the first election I was able to vote in. But they, Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter certainly didn't have Wait, very much money. Wasn't our first election? Yeah. 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 It's ninety. Yeah, ninety. Was that ninety-two election? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, it's not the money that kills me. It is just literally the fact that, um, I mean, I think he came off with this bizarrely engaging, rabid way of talking to people that got them excited and wound up, you know, and that's kind of what happened. Media, media or not, money or not, he was great at riling yeah. up people, and he still does right now. Well, I'm yeah. just, Clinton, uh, 
I would I think Clinton was amazing at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but not who just, were you just talking about? Not just about. making people angry. Donald Trump. But, oh. I th- but I do think that Clinton also had that same kind of thing where mm-hmm. he was able to bizarrely connect with people in a way that, for whatever that specific period of time was, they needed to be communicated to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Clinton would have lost that election had it not been for Ross Perot. I mean, every poll says Perot stole Bush voters. Oh, and yeah, that yeah, kind of thing. No, so, I, de- I definitely, yeah, to this day. He you never know, won a majority. He never yeah. won a majority of the, of the yeah. electoral vote. Mm-hmm. To, to this day, the only subject that uh, Bush Sr. just doesn't want to talk about. <laughs> he was just like, he can talk about anything. Other than great friends? Except per, him and Perot. Oh, no, no, no. Perot, he hated. Oh, yeah. Uh, Clinton Bush. Oh, yeah, yeah. Clinton Bush. Travel together yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. They raise money together. They do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have any real... You know, and I think, you know, uh, to put put the last point on, because I know we, we, need to, we need to stop, because uh, today is Halloween, and at least one person here on the panel is going to go home and uh, and pass out some candy to some kids, um, like the responsible good adult. Uh, uh, it's a good going to be. But I will say this. I think that was the la- the last of the like civil civil elections where you had HW and um, Clinton who have become really good friends mm-hmm. over over time. Whereas look at the younger Bush and Michelle Obama, they're exceptionally good friends. Yeah, it's but it's but it, that took a while. That took a while to get to the point where. The, the Obamas and W were, like they could be in the same place at the same time, but I think it was the last maybe two years that you actually started seeing, oh, there's they've grown affection that, for each other. I think there were two things that happened. One, George W. Bush, the younger one, yeah. uh, never publicly commented on anything that Obama did. Yes. Which I think was exceptionally smart. He said, listen, I'm not the president anymore. I don't deserve to weigh in. Very smart, and very the, classy. Actually. He was also the one yeah, that, that passed the law and funded the new African American Museum in Washington, yeah. which they worked exceptionally closely on yeah. um, and became friendly through that. Mm-hmm. Also, he couldn't run for re-election, so maybe it's slightly unfair. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you got to keep remembering that Obama ran against everything that Bush did. You know, yeah, so yeah. there were a lot of personal remarks that yeah, oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah, the quality yeah. of his president, et cetera, et cetera. But it is interesting that I think those two families, um, and I think a lot of the more traditional families were like that, where they just said, listen, politics is politics. It is what it is. got to have a thick skin. And then when it's done, done. Right. yes, you go lick your wounds, and then you go back and serve your country. Yeah, exactly. And I think once you've been president, you understand that uh, you're president of the country, yes. not president of your party. Yeah, your party. Right. And I find that to be an interesting kind of a cool thing. Yeah. I love the tradition. And they published the note, which I thought was fascinating, that uh, I think it was H.W. Bush left for... Oh yeah, for, for, for yeah, when he came in, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought that was one yeah. of the most genuine, sincere notes, and I have a feeling that a lot of those letters are like that. Yeah, a lot of yeah, them are yeah, kept yeah. private because they're private moments. Yeah, the only person who didn't do that was freaking Eisenhower because he's a dick. <laughs> but everybody else was really cool. Yeah, I just remember the Clinton stole the China. <laughs> That's all so I'm you saying. Know, um, There's a lot of difference there. The Clinton stole the China. And they left a big crack. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
But I think there's a lot of difference there. Listen, I think I think George. I don't think the Obamas are going to steal the China. I don't see them doing that. I I, think they got a lot more class. I think they're two of the classiest people in the office. Yeah, I'm not. I I don't think they're running off with the China or leaving (laughs) leaving the place trashed. I mean, I I would. If you're looking at Mac and Mike and presidents, I'd put them up there with uh, Barbara and George Bush. I thought they clearly had a lot of respect for the office. Yeah, Obama's clearly have a lot of respect for the office. More than that, I think he has a lot of respect for his legacy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, I don't know. It's interesting. I I feel like he, more than any other modern president, has thought more about what his legacy is going to end up being because I think he felt the added responsibility of being Being the first uh, first black president. So, anyway, it's interesting. Well, with all that being said, I'm going to end this podcast in the way I end all podcasts, and that is with the toast that started this all for me. And uh, I want to, uh, one, um, thank everybody uh, for, uh, for, for being a part of uh, Law Party Podcast. And something I meant to mention on last podcast, um, but uh, you, you being the uh, listeners uh, out there uh, can see for yourself um, that last episode was episode thirty. Wow! So yeah, we have uh, we awesome. we have uh, we have uh, actually recorded uh, more than thirty, and we've had a couple of uh, technical mishaps. <laughs> and uh, but uh, and of course, there's been a couple of weeks there. There have been holidays, or uh, a couple of weeks there have been some sicknesses. There's been you know a few things there, but for uh, at least. 30 weeks we've been trying to be uh, the uh, round voice of reason um, where a group of people can get together not necessarily agree but we can talk uh, share a cigar and share a drink so with that the toast as always to good times with good people